happy Thanksgiving from all of us here at His Radio Talk. Also, Advent Week 1 is around the corner. I'll get you ready for it on the Corey Truax Show. Angels we have over the years on this show to encourage you to practice the Christian calendar, to plan for some way in your own household, as I plan on doing now that I actually have a, have a household, to, to celebrate, to recognize in the coming year when we come up on Epiphany in the new year, and when we come to Pentecost, and to make sure that we are, we're practicing distinctly the calendar that the church has set out for centuries, but the American calendar has some good things to it as well. And we are in the core right now, or at least the beginning, of that holiday season where it is a good virtue to encourage gratefulness instead of entitlement, where we're going to celebrate generosity instead of, again, entitlement, just getting things, and then a sense of renewal in the new year that the old things can pass away and things can become new. I want to walk you through some of that as we get started on this week's Corey Truax Show. Welcome to it on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Amongst many other things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church as their pastor for teaching. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You're invited any given Sunday morning. If you've been out of church for a while, you know what? The Christmas season, the Advent season, is a really good time to jump back in. So find yourself a Bible-declaring, Bible-faithful preaching church and get there. And a Beachwood Church, I think, fits that bill if you're in Greenville and without a church home. I want to start here. Quick Thanksgiving thought, and then I think we're going to spend some time on Advent this week. We do live in an entitled time. Our ease of life is lost on us. It's almost a revolutionary act to acknowledge that it's just good that I have all the hot water I could ever want. It's almost a revolutionary act to acknowledge that it's kind of cool that I can travel 30 miles to work and do it in about 40 minutes. It's insane, really, that I can get the flu like I had last week and can have the immune system to fight it off within about, call it 60 hours or so. But in the interim have, well, also, this was, all, this was awesome, by the way, a wife to take care of you while you're sick, just bringing you cool stuff and medicines and therapies. It was great. Uh, I should get sick more often. I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, the but being able to actually feel okay. We have mitigating medicines. When you have the flu, the flu used to be, and still isn't a lot of times, just dis- disabling. It's so intense. But we take all those things for granted. We take for like I just I think of I know I bring it up a lot. It's, it's odd that I bring this up this much, but one of the great triumphs of American medicine is Lipitor. You know what high blood pressure used to mean for people before we could treat it? It meant a short life. That's what it meant. We we didn't get that figured out until the last few decades, and sometimes the high blood pressure thing wasn't as a or hypertension I think is a technical name was not because of people's bad habits. Like, sometimes just genetically, you had weird stuff with your heart and your blood pressure, and people would have shortened lives because of it. We just take for granted that we have that now. You know what diabetes used to mean for people? You're going to die, probably young, unless you get it figured out with your diet now with insulin. 
what a what a world. What a comfortable world. I just flew to Mexico in less than three hours and came back safely. What a gift. And we don't live in that time to think of gifts. Instead of getting in our car and starting it to make it warm and being grateful that the car turned over, we are blown away and angered if that car does not start when we turn it over. We're almost blown away that something bad happened. I found this in myself, really, really bad part of myself. Uh, on I-85, I guess, one night here recently, coming back from being with... My, I guess my, that's my father-in-law. I was going to say my wife's, dad, my wife's dad, but that's my father-in-law who's in hospice. And apparently a water main broke and shut down I-85 South. And we were in a parking lot, basically. I mean, it was my, my understanding is it went on for hours. Some very creative people started using the shoulder, and I followed the crowd and was able to get out of there within about an hour. But, but th- that bad thing happened. I was frustrated. And... That was my attitude. My attitude is, well, I should be able to get where I want to when I want to. It's not blowing my mind that I-85 exists. That what, what was once incredible, that the Romans built roads. That we've done it with, well, in South Carolina, I was going to say, and we've done it with incredible excellence. Well, in South Carolina, we did okay. But like, consider that. There's a road that goes from Miami to New York City. That's pretty cool. You can just stay on it and... Go up and down the East Coast. That doesn't blow my mind. It doesn't blow my mind that my car is working, that it was warm inside despite it being cold out, outside. I, I'm just trying to, to say to you, it's revolutionary to be grateful because we just think everything should be easy. We live in an easy world. There's now 2 billion people, if you add together the populations of China and India. And I would put it at a a majority or a maybe right under a majority of those people live in conditions that you you wouldn't make it. I mean, I'm not saying you wouldn't live, but you'd be miserable because of how you've been able to live here. And we just don't take it into account. And so I am, I am asking you this Thanksgiving. Can you cultivate a spirit of gratefulness? Yes, for the physical blessings, and I concentrated on that for a reason. Your life, as hard as it is right now, I'm sure you have lots of problems. But your life in context of human history has a lot of blessings. And so be grateful for those. You hear my careful language? I didn't say your life in context of history is easy. I didn't say that. I said it has a lot of blessings. And it's a good time to acknowledge those. Now, for the vast majority of my listenership, you know we have a further, a further gratefulness that we are not just physically blessed, but we have the, oh, what song is there's a song coming to mind right now. It's that last verse of Great is Thy Faithfulness. Um, that goes uh, summer and winter. No, not that's uh, verse two. Last verse is pardon. Oh, it's a list. Here's this list. Pardon for sin. A peace that endureth. Your own presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. These are blessings all mine, with 10,000 beside. Yeah, we're physically blessed. But a pardon for sin, peace, God's own presence, strength and hope, uh, we are 
deeply blessed. Couldn't ask for more. I'm a subscriber to the New York Times. I, I know, I give them money every month, but they have incre- an incredible amount of content. I find a lot of it helpful. And I was kind of blown away that showed up in my inbox on a day here recently. It was this week. The title was uh, Living a Thankful Life. Actually, you know what? Why would I try to do this from memory when I think I have it in my email box right here? Here we go. The title of it was How to Give Thanks in a Screwed Up World. And I was like, oh, okay. Look at the secular the secularist trying to have some religion because that's something we would say. Yes, the, the world is all messed up and how do you cultivate a spirit of thankfulness even in a messed up world? And this woman, whoo, what a miserable, miserable woman. She was <laughs> talking about living in Nashville. It was, you know, it's late October. She's out in her garden. There's still butterflies, and some of her flowers are still popping with color because the, the temperatures are still in the late, uh, the, up, the upper 70s here in Nashville. And then it occurred to me, it's only this intemperate because the ice caps are melting and doom is coming. And then she talks about being around with friends <laughs> outside. She's having this moment of gratefulness, and then it just occurs to her that on in the background there are forces conspiring against democracy. Oh, man, you're miserable. And what I read in that article, I actually laughed several times, because I, I guess I could get angry or make fun or just, I had to laugh. Like, what a miserable way to live that you cannot embrace in the moment. Yes, you're going to enjoy time with your friends. Yes, there's cool butterflies, and you get to enjoy your garden. That in the back of your mind, the world has so infected you with its concerns that you cannot concern yourself for great blessings ahead of you. That there's the people you're dealing with right now are physical, and in front of you, that they're eternal, they're, they're represented, they're, they're physical souls, and your mind goes to the abstract threats to democracy. Oh, we the world does not have a an answer for how do you how do you're thankful in a in a screwed up world. Well, we we just recognize that the screwed up world is the baseline because of the fall. We recognize the world is is it can get better, but its baseline is hard. The baseline existence is brutal. Baseline existence is chaotic, and it takes all kinds of God's blessings and our efforts to bring order to the madness. I can't remember who said this, that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Yes, it's God's good grace that we have all these gifts, we don't earn anything, it's just God's goodness, but it's not opposed to our effort, that we put effort into cultivating his good gifts, and then we're grateful for the, the fruit of our labor. I think I want to stop there for segment one. We're going to come back and do Advent. But just thankfulness. Yes, for our physical blessings. Also, for those spiritual blessings. We, we live in this entitled age where folks tend to think they deserve every good thing. But we can be the people that recognize all good gifts are from the Father of Lights. You know, we, I said I was finished, but that old quote just occurred to me. I think this is Chesterton, who said, there's no more lonely moment for the atheist than when they're really grateful for something and have no one to thank. When they're just in a moment, like I've had lately, where you just realize, I am so grateful for my wife. 
What a great gift. And you don't have anyone to thank. I know I do. Thank you, Lord, for that good gift. I know there are times I have seen my my nephews act in a certain way or do, do uh, Kobe, my youngest, sent me a paper uh, to edit for him and his growth as a communicator in college is extraordinary. I'm not, buddy, if you listen to this, I'm not saying you were a bad writer, but man, um, the improvement has been incredible in one year. And I just had this moment of gratefulness and how lonely a moment it is to not know who to thank. But I, I had that moment to thank. I, I could go I could go on and on with these examples. There's a world out there trying to cultivate gratefulness and they don't even know who gave them good gifts. We have this wonderful advantage to look at our families, our physical blessings, our spiritual renewal, redemption, guaranteed sanctification and glorification in, in the end. We know exactly who to thank. So take an opportunity to do that. Let's make it a practice. Let's make it a discipline. That we're the people that walk around grateful, knowing that all good things come from the Father above. When we come back, Advent is upon us. Let's get ready to practice it ourselves and lead our families in it. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Chuak Show on His Radio Talk and wherever you find podcasts. Advent week one is upon us. November 27th, the last Sunday in November this year, is the beginning of the Advent season. I want to help prepare you for it. If you've been a listener to the show for a while, you are familiar with it. If you grew up like me, you are not familiar with it. There are entire streams, strands of Protestantism that eschew or ignore the idea of Advent because it just felt a little too Catholic. But it's a fantastic ancient church practice to to have the actual advent season christmas is is obviously the the big day of the advent season but we spend the entire four weeks dwelling on the meaning of the incarnation god became flesh i'll get you moving with some preparation on that in just a moment welcome back to the Corey truax show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. You can also reach the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. To Henry, to Mindy, and to Paul, there's also a... Oh, I know, Mark. Um, to all you, the emails, I'm coming to those. Not this episode, I don't think, but there's a lot I want to get to there. And sorry I have not responded. It's been insane. It's been insane. Actually, 2022 has been for me. Just a lot going on. Uh, but thank you for those emails, and if you have thoughts for the show, you can send them in as well. I'm going to get to those on an upcoming episode. I want to start here on Advent Season Week 1. It's probably my favorite week. The theme of Advent Week 1 is hope. That's a Corey Truax quality, a Corey Truax. Uh, let's go with feature, if there ever was one. It's almost obnoxious to people closest to me. Like you, You can tell me any given scenario, and I'm going to go, well, you know, here's five ways that can work out really well. There's, there's always a bright side to whatever is going on. I'm not Pollyanna. I mean, I'll, I'll embrace reality. And sometimes I'm the guy that will have to say, hey, the thing that you think is going to work out is not going to. 
this is now, uh, you now have choices between bad and other bad, so choose a bad thing. And even that in my disposition is, okay, well, that's the world. The world has hard things. That's what, that's what we do, and we operate in it, and we just know that better days will come even when we're in bad stuff. For some of you, you very much identify with Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, and it's, you're just not a hope person. This is the season of hope, that great line from O Holy Night, a thrill of hope. So here's where I want to start on that. I think it's hard to value the, the hope of the season, the value of the Advent season, without really understanding the darkness into which the light burst. That's one of the ways in which this season is represented in a physical way. In dark rooms, we light candles. The star in the, in the dark sky gives forth its light. Up on that hill, on a dark hill, those shepherds have exploded upon them this dazzling light as angels come to announce Jesus' birth. One of the symbols of this season is light bursting forth into darkness. It was a time of intertestamental darkness. Malachi had gone off the scene hundreds of years before. God's people had not heard from a prophet of thus saith the Lord caliber in centuries, and then no longer a a word off the tongue of a prophet, but boom, the word became flesh. The loudest and most clear articulation of God was made. But it's important to understand the darkness, to fully appreciate the light. I think of it in a couple ways. It's, it's good that it comes up in so many of our hymns and Christmas songs. It, that, I just quoted the, the thrill of hope in A Holy Night. That next line is, a, a weary world rejoices. But don't just run to hope and rejoices. Yeah, there's a thrill of hope. And the world rejoices, but what kind of world is it, man? It's a weary world. It's a weary world that needs some hope. It doesn't feel like it has much to rejoice about. I think of maybe my favorite week one song for Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Yeah, we want God's presence. We want him with us, but who's calling? O come, O come, Emmanuel. We are captive, Israel. So it's... uh, question for you. Do you feel weary by this world? Do you feel captive in it? I mean, even if you don't feel captive in it, because I wouldn't want you to feel that way, do you feel exiled in it? You don't belong here, and you want to go home. I think we feel like maybe the folks the first 39 chapters of Isaiah were written to And that's a giant chunk of scripture, and I'm oversimplifying it, so hear me say that, especially you theologian types and guys who know more Bible than I am. I'm not not saying the first 39 chapters of, uh, of Isaiah can be summed up accurately the way I'm about to do it, but here's one of the themes in the first 39 chapters. It's some judgment and some justice on a wayward people. It's Isaiah handing out some words from the Lord on a wayward Israel. Man, verse or chapter 40, it turns. You start to get some promises. You start to, 
to get some word of one who's coming, a Messiah, who's going to brighten that darkness and cure the rottenness. And you get lots of great promises from Isaiah after chapter 40. We, we have to, the, we, we do need to feel it. The world is dark. The world is rotten. It is weary. And we are exiled in it. You can feel that in whatever way you need to at the moment. For some of you, it's more abstract. So you look out at the world in its darkened, demented sexual ethic. How we treat children in that world. How we treat the unborn in this world. Some of you can think of it as more outside of here and how there's just ethnic strife around the world and in our country. There's chaos in a lot of ways. Just a a really crazy world and you're weary of it. You feel exiled in it. For some of you, it is much more personal. There's a, there's a relationship that you want reconciled and it's not. There's a, there's a real distance between you and that person. You are, about, you are about to lose a family member to some health issue or you just did. And this world feels broken. Because it is. But whether you feel it way outside of you or it's very personal right now, it actually is important to just feel the darkness so that the light can more properly be contrasted. Yeah, the weary world rejoices. Yes, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But you're coming to a weary and captive people. Makes me think of Romans 5. This is not off the top of my head, by the way. I did prepare this part. Romans 5 is obviously not thought of (laughs) as an Advent or a Christmas text, but this idea of hope in a dark time, let me take you there. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by by faith, that's good news, in all of our weariness and our captivity and the, the brokenness, the rottenness, the darkness, Chosen by God, chosen to reconcile, but we were justified by faith. Continuing, we have peace with God. Well, that's good news. I may have some problems here on this earth, but that big cosmic one, my lack of peace with God, I, I have it. Well, how, how, Paul, how do I have it? Well, he writes right next to that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remind me, remind me who we're celebrating this Advent season? The incarnation, where I did not have peace with God, and I would not have had peace with God except for sacrifices and rituals and priests and temples and offerings. I would not have had peace with God. I would not have had his imminent presence. But this season gives me my solution. I now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. And I'm going to say it again. We rejoice in what? In hope. Hope of what? Of the glory of God. This is one of the great parts that Isaiah 40 chapter, after a lot of darkness and judgment 
is pronounced, what is held up most prominently in Isaiah 40 is the majesty of God, the kingship of God. Well, how can I have hope in all of this judgment? How can I have hope in this weary, captive, rotten darkness? How can I? Well, the glory of God outshines it. His majesty is so much better. The, the darkness has no competition. The darkness knows him not. They don't, the, dark, the darkness can't hold back light. Light fills it up. You don't hit the, the switch in a dark room and the darkness actually tries to hold on. It has no hope. We're the ones with hope. Verse 3. Not only that, not only do we have hope and rejoicing in the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Pause there. That's revolutionary. How do you even do that? In that broken relationship, in that sickness, in that financial stress, in that wayward child, in that loneliness, how? Can we rejoice in that suffering? It's not and for, for the world around us. I mean, I, I read to you that that well, I didn't read to you, but I summarized that op-ed from that New York Times writer who just couldn't find it in herself to be thankful because of all the troubles of the world. But we can. We can rejoice in our suffering. Well, how? Well, here's the next part of the verse: knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces, here we go again, hope. Suffering, in the end, produces hope. Some of us really need that from time to time. We're so self-sufficient. Talking about me. We're so self-sufficient. We so have control of it all. Sometimes we need some suffering to knock us down, to turn our eyes and not, horizontal, not, and also not turn our eyes internal to our own resources, to our own cleverness, to our own striving and our own planning, and just get knocked on our back to say, Lord, I need you. I needed you the whole time. I wasn't acknowledging you, but I've needed you this entire time, and now I have nothing but hope in you because I can't hope in myself. I've embarrassed myself. I've failed totally. I need you. This suffering produces hope in that our God will not abandon us. We're living in that weird time between two advents. Yes, we are looking for him to come again and make it all right, but he has come. He's he split time itself. And if he came to start this work, we can trust him to finish it. There's just so much hope even in our sufferings. Because he has come, because of this season, even in suffering, we have hope. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think that last part, the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, that's your answer to how, how can I rejoice in my suffering? How can I rejoice in between these two advents? How can I have hope? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, and the spiritual disciplines that come along with that. You know, we have so much good news to hope in, but how will you know it? 
if you don't have the discipline to read of all that hope, get in the word yourself. How will you know to have confidence and hope if you fill your social media feed with a lot of negativity? How will you know if you fill your TV with a lot of negativity or, or oh, important, not negativity, but you fill your social media feeds, your internet diet, your TV diet, your streaming diet. What if you just fill it with frivolity? Just frivolous meaninglessness. And don't hear me saying that that's always bad. Look, I, I do one of the most frivolous things there is. I watch football. I'm trying to get control of how much of it I watch. But it's frivolous. Sports are frivolous. But how will you know of the hope you have if you're not... If the Holy Spirit is, if you're, well, let me say it that way. If you're not taking advantage of the power and the discipline the Holy Spirit will grant to you if you ask and work, that we replace a lot of our frivolous nonsense, or we replace even some of the things we shouldn't be doing with spiritual discipline, prayer, Bible reading, taking in some of the endless content that we have out there to help in our spiritual development. So let me close week one this way. And then when we come back, I actually have another thought I want to give you about incarnation in living bodily. Like, what does it mean that God put on a body? And what should that make us think about our bodies? I want to do that when we come back. Let me close down week one this way. Our theme is hope. Let's recognize how dark the world is. It is. Maybe, maybe don't fo- focus on that too hard with your kids. Don't bring them down. But I hope you will this week. This, again, it starts on November 27th. At some point during the week, maybe more than once, gather the family, maybe even just for yourself, and say, or, and practice the idea that, hey, the world is dark. Here's the, here are the ways that we know it's dark. But here's all that incredible hope we have. We have hope in the glory of God. His majesty will reign. He will be king. He came as a baby to be crowned with that crown of thorns. That, that's the one crown he got that made him king over sin. He is coming again to take his crown over all things, including our our biggest enemy, death itself. We have an incredible hope. Let's, let's anchor ourselves in that this Advent season, week one. When we return, let's talk about incarnation. What does it mean that God put on a body, and what does that mean for how we should handle ours? We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. choose my own bumper music to come in and out of segments and yes i i do think little drummer boy is possibly the worst christmas song but that guitar version right there i just had to play it welcome back to the Corey truax show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcast as i often encourage you to do find me on facebook twitter or instagram look for me Corey truax you'll find me there actually getting a little bit more active on on the twitters because it's more fun there after the old musky dude bought it i don't I want to get into a lot of this stuff because we're it's Advent season. I have a plan, but it's it's this has been weird to me. You know, he's been on the left most of his life. He's a big Obama supporter. Heck, the guy has a, as part of his main goal is a lot of the global warming stuff. He's trying to solve environmentalism. That's why he wants to make electric cars. Like the, the left left has gotten so crazy that he's been pushed to make himself look middle to right uh, and it's it's driving them crazy that he owns Twitter but Twitter's become a 
a little bit more of a, a fun place. So find me over there. You can also email the show at CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com. I also just made the decision that this show is going to take a weird twist at the end. Like it's, I just remembered something I saw in my email box. The, and the tone of today has been reflective, contemplative. You know, it's all about the holiday season, but uh, here's a teaser. It's going, it's, it's going to get a little bit more visceral by the end here, but let me do one more contemplative, meaningful thing. One of the main themes of the season is we're celebrating the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation. We get this from lots of places, but I think that's in John 1, that he put on flesh and he dwelt among us, glory of the only begotten of the Father. And it, it, it's a good question. It's a deep question. It's a complicated question. Why did God need to put on a body? And there's some fundamental reasons. Through one man's flesh, Adam, sin entered the world. Through another man, God-man's flesh, sin would be conquered. Flesh for flesh. We, we needed a second Adam. But there was... While we could get into some really deep theological discussions, I listened to a, a sermon this week about the the implications of flesh. That God putting on flesh should tell us something about his value for what we do. Not just how we take care of our bodies, but his value for the fleshly world. There's been an unhealthy dualism in the last several centuries in Western thought about our bodies and our spirit. That what we do in the body might be less consequential to the spirit. That ultimately what goes on forever is this ethereal world, but this physical one somehow just comes to an end. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Our eternity is quite physical. Our eternity looks a lot more like what your imagination comes up with when you imagine an Adam and Eve in a garden. There are smells and fruits and trees and sensations and soil in which to place your hand, there's, there's, there's streams to ha- have your feet splash in. That is what our eternity is like. And so for God, in his sovereignty and wisdom, to place a body on himself, to step down from glory, to put on flesh, that tells us something about how deeply meaningful the physical world is. I think one of the themes that comes up at Beechwood, in our lead pastor Doug's preaching, is he'll, he'll say it this way, what you do matters. And that sounds elementary, but it's actually quite profound. The things you do in this life, how you talk and treat others, decisions you make, they matter. Not just to others, and not to, just to the society around you. Yes, all that matters. It, it matters to the God of the universe, who put you where he put you. The way I I heard it in that sermon was this. The what, when, and where of your life matter. The job you have, where you go, every day to make your living, it's not random. God placed you there. He placed you there to work hard, to be honest, to represent him as an ambassador in that place. I was, again, in, in that sermon, it was a Mark Dever sermon, by the way. The same way that you have ambassadors to countries, you become the ambassador for the United States to fill in the blank. You now represent that country 
you, you, re- you represent your country to that place. And then I'm, I'm just coming up with a random one here. If you're a Christian who works at Arby's, you are now the ambassador of the kingdom of God to Arby's. You are now the ambassador from the kingdom of God to your workplace. You have been deputized. You're the ambassador. So serve and work and talk in a way that shows the the importance of your office. You represent the kingdom of God to where you work. God didn't place you there randomly. So you're backbiting or gossiping or undermining or bad-talking others. You are a... Uh, th- these things matter because you're, you are representing the kingdom of God to your workplace. The what of where you live, where you have been incarnated, your incarnation. Now, hold on. Don't hear me say that you are a divine being that's been incarnated. You're not. But your fleshliness, where your flesh is, is not an accident. God put you where he put you for a reason. If you don't work, you're in college, you have social settings, you're a, you're a coach, you're a, a teacher of some volunteer group, and you're around people with regularity. Those aren't accidents. God has ordained you to be around those people in those settings, in those classrooms on that campus. You are an ambassador from the kingdom of the kingdom of God to wherever it is God has placed you. The what of and the where of where you live physically in your, your carnation, your physicality, it matters. It's sovereignly determined. When you live matters. When you do what you do matters. Apparently, whoever I'm talking to right now, God decided that where you live is where you need to be living, where you're working in 2022 going into 2023. You have a sovereign purpose where you are. There's a, there's a providence to the what, when, and where of your life. You belong on the street you live in. It's actually kind of feeling heavy for me right now. I'm upstairs in my house and easily. I now record looking out at my street. I'm looking out on Dayton Street and easily. And I'm seeing none of my neighbors in their yards, but I see a nativity scene and I don't know these people. But I live here for a reason. I don't know what it is yet. I hope in the new year, as rhythms get into place, I can be a particularly type of good neighbor. And as people move in, it's good opportunities. Like the where you live, where you work, where you go to the gym, your your hobbies and the people that it puts you in in regular contact with, all of that is providentially, sovereignly determined. You have a purpose. The same way, not the same way. Hold on. Careful, Corey. The way that Jesus modeled that is something to follow. He was placed in Nazareth. Judea, Jerusalem, for the time, the times that he was to make, to do his ministry. And you have your lesser ministry, whoever you are, not, not if, not if you just work for a church, you have some sovereign place you're supposed to be. Apparently what we do in the flesh matters as God used God in the flesh to do his most prominent, his most important work. One other point from that sermon I recall. It's one of the reasons we should think intergenerationally. We tend not to. We, we tend not to think, hey, what might my, my great-grandkids live in? I've only recently been thinking this way. I've, I think I got some folks close to me 
our, our lead pastor in particular, who's been thinking this way for a couple years now. Like, what, what will the church look like in 300 years? Where my brain is typically, well, let's have a five-year plan. What's a 10-year plan? Okay, well, you have eternal souls here who are going to get married and have kids, and those kids are eternal souls. Maybe you should have a plan. Like what? How, how do we remain faithful for generation after generation after generation? What projects might you start? Oh, this is so important. What projects, movements might you start that you will not see them come to completion? And you're okay with it. You know that for your community, your country, your church, to do any given thing, and this is a 50-year project, you know you're not going to be on this earth for 50 more years. It's a 100-year project, and you know you won't see it to the end. But you still go. You still start, you start to act because you know all of this flesh, it matters. What we do in it matters. All right. That's the Thanksgiving, Advent Week 1, and the idea of incarnation. I told you this is going to take a wild swing, and I, I just don't have any other way to, where to put this, and it's admittedly off-brand. So here's what I'm going to ask you. No, not off-brand, but it's just off-brand to this episode. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to count down from five, and then we're just going to do a brand new thing, because I just feel like I have to say it, because it's in my inbox, and I had such a reaction to it. So here we go. Five, four, three two, one. I got an email from the New York Times because I do get those, as I mentioned earlier. And I laughed so hard. And I think it brings up a topic we need to get to, but um, it's so sad. It's embarrassing. I can't believe an adult did this. But here we go. If you didn't hear, I don't know how you wouldn't have. A, a little bit over a week ago, the most recent president of the United States announced he was going to seek the presidency of the United States again. Yay. But the, this is so embarrassing for these people. Oh, well, here we go. Here's the title of the email. Opinion. How are you feeling today about Donald Trump? So this came out, by the way, the day after he announced. An adult male wrote this. His name is Patrick Healy. Here we go. I'm actually going to read it to you. It's, it's, it's entertaining. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> Quote, Donald Trump has been operating like a political black hole for some time now. He sucked up all his opponents in 2016, warping their public images until their candidacies were, were obliterated. He tore the Republican Party apart. He consumed political oxygen, attention, and mind share. That's, that's important. He consumed political oxygen, oxygen, attention, and mind share. Okay. Well, Patrick Healy, the writer of this, the mind share thing. The fact that he dominated people's minds. Whose fault was that? Was that his? Or did you adults obsess over something so badly you made yourselves mentally ill? Back to his writing. His early morning tweets pulled in members of Congress, the news media, and millions of Americans. Here's the final, par- the final sentence of this paragraph. Our days, our plans, our moods were set by the relentless gravitational por- force of Trump's nihilism. Boy, mine wasn't. I don't know about you, psychos. Your moods, your plans, were affected by an- by another person's tweets and attitudes. What a sad, sad reality. What a nothing of a life for someone's tweets to affect your moods and plans. Here's more from the email. 
now that he's back in our lives. I suspect you have an opinion or two about that. Uh, so my colleagues, i got to find out where the next, uh, my mouse went said something weird. Here we go. So my colleagues and I came up with an idea. Why not take all the thoughts, feelings, and obsessiveness that Trump inspires and cast them into our own black hole? Could that little act give us some of our emotional energy and brain space back? You are embarrassing yourself, sir. And any adult who hears this and identifies with it, I mean, grow up. Their, their idea here is you can click a link and just type all your emotions, all your precious emotions, into this little box that looks like there's space behind it, like outer space, and you just type your emotions and press enter, and your emotions go off into the black hole. You just write out all your feelings. This should not be. No, I'm talking the other direction, too. Like This is the New York Times. This is obviously people who had a lot of negative emotions. No political figure should inspire this kind of emotional reaction. It's psychotic. And I mean that. That's a psychotic world. I can't even believe this is a, this is a sentence. Could uh, this, uh, the, the idea of, of writing your emotions down and the question, the, the question is, could that little act give us some of our emotional energy and brain space back? How about this? Grow up. Get, grab onto your own emotional space. All right? Get your own brain space. Don't let a, a far-off figure dominate your emotions that way. That's psycho. Like, have a, get a life. I know that's a very trite thing to say from the 90s, get a life. But like, I mean that. Get a hobby. Create your own emotional space. What a whew. This is a sad, sad thing to have had to have write to have written. Uh, more from this guy. Uh, here it is. Whether you like or loathe the former president, we're all in the same spot. He's now back in our lives in a bigger way than he has been since he got kicked off Twitter and left office. He may not win the 2024 election. But we have to face the fact that he's returned to the main stage. That doesn't mean, however, he has to keep living rent-free in Americans' heads. Let me, let me admit, I was there for a minute in 2015 and 16 where I had the Trump obsession. I'm not going back there. And this is actually how I, how I wanted to finish this segment. I know I've made fun of it, and it, it deserves to be made fun of. That's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that adult had an anxiety attack over someone issuing a presidential announcement of a run and needed to create an engine to put their feelings down and send them off into to cyberspace so they could have more emotional space for themselves. Yes, that's embarrassing that you had that kind of reaction. But I do want to say this. In about yeah, five or six months a bunch of other people will start making the same announcement. Which means for about five or six months, that one old man in Florida is just going to be shouting into the ether, shouting into the space, asking for attention. The emotionally healthy thing for most of us is ignore him. Just ignore him. He doesn't deserve your attention. He certainly doesn't deserve your anxiety attack and your emotions to go to the New York Times website to write them down and send them off into space. I have already pledged to myself, I'm not doing it again. I was a fairly miserable person throughout the process of 2016 in that primary. Not only was I miserable, I was unpleasant. I was mean. 
I think it was the really the final method the Lord used to kill the idol in my heart that was the United States of America. And I am asking you to do the same. Uh, let's just keep the temperature way down. Because I didn't. I didn't in 2016. I was one of the louder, meaner voices out there. I I see it every year in my Facebook memories. Like I, I went to war with a lot of folks. It was a, uh, it was unpleasant. And so I'm, I know this time around, I'm quietly going to vote for, maybe on the show, do some minor support for somebody, probably for the governor DeSantis in Florida, unless something else pops up. There's a better option. But just, just uh, I just want to toss it out there. Over over the coming months. Governor DeSantis, Nikki Haley, get Greg Abbott. Other people are going to start announcing, and there will start to be little online wars. And last time, I think a lot of us got dragged into it. So I'm just asking you now here at the beginning, before it all starts, don't be like the people from the New York Times here who had such an emotional reaction that they built an engine for people to write their emotions down and send them into cyberspace. I was never that quite intense, but don't even let it get started. Free your heart from this process. Free your emotions from this process. And may we all grow up enough to never let a politician be so emotionally affecting that we have the kind of reaction that New York Times writer did. Now, I told you this show was going to end with a big out-of-nowhere turn, but it was in my inbox. It was a piece of content that I wanted to kind of make fun of and then also give you that word of counsel as we start to go into... A primary season about five or six months from now or a new campaign season for an office people care much too much about. More importantly, it is Advent Week 1. It's Thanksgiving week. Not about all the shopping. Not a, not about all the materialism or your college football game, your rivalry games coming this Saturday. Uh, let's start the season outright with gratefulness followed right into a season of hope as we look to that grand hope in the end of the second coming. I'll be back next week with another new edition. Until then... Peace and love.